Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, happy holidays. Welcome into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We have, uh, I don't know, is this, I guess this is our last episode for 2023, right? We're not doing one next week. Like people with real jobs, you all don't work next week. You just like go eat bonbons. And that's always my mom's comparison for something luxurious. Like, ah, oh, they're sitting around eating bonbons. Like, I don't even know what a bonbon is. Anyway, this is all to say, isn't this our last episode? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is our last episode of 2023. Um, I also, I have a picture of like what bonbons are, but I don't think that's what they are at all. Like just like little, almost like kicks. Cereal? Is it a cookie reason? or is it like a, it's like a, like a candy? I always oh, pictured man, it as cereal it and be, I don't know why that is. Apparently it could be like anything. It's like a yeah. cookie or a, oh, okay. A bonbon, according to Wikipedia, so you know it's real, is a small chocolate confection. Ben, have you ever had a bonbon? I mean, I probably had something that in retrospect could be classified as right. a bonbon. Yeah. That's Never fair. in my life have I been like, oh, you know what would be great right now? A bonbon. A bonbon. Or even like a little kid, I was like, "Mom, can I have a bonbon?" No. Like, when are we getting bonbons next? Why don't we have any bonbons in the house? Uh, well, this is a very productive start yeah, to this episode. Yeah. Going through the supermarket aisles, like, "Mommy, the bonbons!" <laughs> no, we already have bonbons at home. Why can't we stop at the bonbon section? Ah, uh, it's uh, the type of mature starts of this podcast that you've come to know and expect. Uh, as we welcome you into the latest episode of the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. My name is Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, and Benjamin Hill in New York City as uh, we have arrived at the final episode of 2023. And we got a, a fun one in store for you today. Uh, fellas, first off, how are things? Yeah, things are good. It's uh, I am currently in the Frank Robinson room overlooking Radio City Music Hall uh, with its big tree, knowing festive. that... Yeah, the 30 Rockefeller Center tree is beyond that. So if you hear some honking going on in the background right now, that's just good old Sixth Avenue traffic. Um, but they, you know, there's a there's a spirit and an energy in the city around this time of year. And yeah, I always try to pick that up and, and carry it with me. I know some people don't like being in Midtown right now because it's so hectic and, and nuts. But like, listen, people want to come here, and I always I always enjoy that. Like living in the place that people want to come to. Um, Ben, you are a father who now gets to kind of experience like more and more year after year. Um, Harry will get more into the holidays, into opening presents, into all of that stuff. How's that been? Yeah, it's great. I love it. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, you know, the holidays in general just become a lot more fun when you experience them through a kid's eyes. And, you know, he turns three in February and this is kind of the first round of holidays we've had where he, you know, some of the concepts might be still quite vague to him, but you know, Santa Claus and Christmas trees and decorations and presents. Like he's excited about all of it. And it's the first time I've really been excited about getting him presents. Like in the past, it was like, 
I don't need to get him anything. These like the gifts would be boring and all these relatives give him books and we live in a or stuff, you know, a lot of books, a lot of other stuff. And we live in an apartment. We don't need this stuff. But this is the first year I've kind of in my own shopping, I've been like, oh, I'm going to get that for Harry. Like he's going to like that. Or, you know, I want him to associate that with me. Or this is something I want to want to encourage. Like we got a uh, yesterday we had a discount at the MLB shop uh, available to employees and you know, I got him a, I got him a hat and a jersey, <laughs> you know, Phillies jersey. You know, even though he's a Brooklyn kid, I grew up, you know, obviously a Phillies fan. So, what am I going to do? Like buy him Met stuff because he was born in Brooklyn? No, like, no, uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> encouraging Phillies, and you know, I'm totally prepared, and in a way, in a certain way, would encourage if he becomes a baseball fan. And if he says, like, no, dad, like, I've never lived in Philadelphia. I've never been to your backwater burg. Like, I, I, uh, I'm i a New York guy. So I, I would respect that. I'd even buy him Mets or Yankees gear if he became a fan on his own. But for now, he's getting the dad influence with uh, Philly stuff. Um, I also got him a wallet. That's something he's really into. Because when we go outside, you know, he wants his wallet. Dad always has his wallet. He wants a wallet with a Metro card and some money and an ID? I don't know. Toddlers don't really have ID, but we'll make him an ID. I like the idea of like a preschool ID of like he's yeah. got like his you know his own little tiny headshot. Uh, that sounds that yeah. sounds pretty signature that <laughs> he has to print on there. Yeah. Um, well, we are really excited to uh, to wrap up 2023 with uh, a very fun episode idea in our uh, our final edition of this calendar year, and that is we're going to give you. Our five favorite things uh, from minor league baseball in 2023. Uh, it could be, I guess, baseball at large-ish as well. Uh, but, you know, tangentially connected to minor league baseball. Um, and then at the end, we're going to give you uh, some favorites that are beyond just the baseball side. But uh, Sam, I believe, has brought up his, um, you know, Bletchley Park-inspired uh, code-spewing random order generator. This is not something that Sam just figured out on Google. This is there's like a big old timey machine behind him. And he has to like plug the cords in to each thing like an old switchboard. Uh, it's very impressive work, Sam. I'm really I'm pretty blown away that you had the time to build this thing. Yeah, and and the the unfortunate thing is it only gives me the names one letter at a time. So we could be here for forty five minutes, uh, just chat amongst yourselves. No, it's it's random.org. dot I mean, you can uh, you can infer the names pretty quickly, <laughs> even from one letter. I think we're okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless it gives you like vowels first, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh man, an A. What is this going to be? I don't know. Is well, it only one of our names has an A? Come in. Well, Benjamin Yaman. has an A. Benjamin. On sure. has an A. On, yeah, it's first and last names, ran <laughs> letters randomly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, Sam. <laughs> Apparently, right. it's random.org. Whatever. Yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, which I am told is a secure form, so nobody's going to ever be able to find this. <laughs> nobody's hacking our random three-name order uh, <laughs> infrastructure. That's good. I feel like this is, I can't remember, what was the order of the gratitude guys? I was last. That was, uh, I believe that was Sam Tyler, Ben. Okay. Well, it's Sam, Ben, Tyler this oh, time. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, somehow that. I keep going first. What a surprise. I, <laughs> trust me, I would have preferred <laughs> one of you guys going first, but we have to stick to the uh, the decree of random.org. <laughs> It is binding. This is, this is not something that we can take like an independent arbitrator. This is random.org is a binding agreement. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Well, I will count down my five. I'm actually going to start with, I think, something that's like kind of a free space for all of us, um, which is just the podcast in general. Um, but a couple episodes I wanted to shout out real quick. One being the gratitude guys. Uh, we got some good feedback on on that from listeners who said they really enjoyed getting to hear us, hear our backgrounds. And that was just a lot of fun to learn a little bit about you guys too, that, you know, we, we know each other pretty well, but um, going even deeper than what we already knew, that was great. Seinfeld night episode was, was a lot of fun. Um, equally as fun was like what we didn't record just going beyond and, and quoting Seinfeld for like half an hour after the interview was over. Uh, our fan episode was so much fun getting people who listen to this show and know the show really well onto the show uh you could see the excitement every time somebody popped up on zoom and, and got to chat with us and uh, we got to chat with them we were equally excited and the uh broadcaster's favorite calls uh that was another one that i think you know the industry was super excited to hear from other people or be included in that and that's something we can do every year i mean we can there's 120 minor league teams all with broadcasters who who deserve their chance to show off their favorite calls so that's something we'll be looking to bring back next year so that's my free space um number five were stories from the arizona fall league but specifically some uncovered gems uh from that that league because the afl we know it as a prospect graduate school it's usually a lot of big names there and you know it's exciting to talk to guys like uh, Colson Montgomery and, and Reggie Crawford and Kyle Manzardo and, and all those guys. But like sometimes there are guys who you think are at the end of a roster who actually end up standing out in that league as well. And two of them were Carter Howell, a Giants prospect, and Zach Penrod, a Red Sox pitching prospect. Carter Howell uh, was somebody who I was talking to him about his background a little bit, and that ended up leading the story. He went to Division Two ball. And he only got one offer from Augustana University in South Dakota. So he accepted it, played there, ended up going to the Giants. He wasn't selected, but the Giants were the only team to ask him to go to pro ball. So he signed with them. Now, you know, he just finished up the year in the AFL. Um, he's just a guy who really knows how to make the most of his opportunities. Same thing with Zach Penrod. He was signed out of Indy ball by the Red Sox in the second half of the season. Um, helped the team win a championship there then got sent to the AFL because they just needed an arm and showed out in, in the AFL. It's not top 30 quality stuff. I mean, it's it's kind of an average fastball, and he has a really good changeup and some other secondaries. But he's a guy who continually answers the bell, and I like finding out about those guys. I like talking to those guys about their stories. So go circle back on those if you haven't read them before on Carter Howell and Zach Penrod. Uh, number four. This isn't something I like personally experienced, but it's just something that's going to stick with me from the year in general is the aggression of promotions. Um, I feel like a lot of big names this year really got pushed aggressively up the minors. The, the number one example of that being Ethan Solace, the Padres catcher, was signed in January at 16 years old, ended the year at double A in the San Diego Padres system. Uh, a lot of that was just straight up aggression from the Padres. They wanted a lot of their top names in San Antonio at once. But the fact that he was 17 and was even considered for that uh, was something really special. You look at Jackson Holiday climbing four levels uh, in one season, ending at AAA. And, you know, he there were some rumblings about him, like, still working out in Sarasota in case Baltimore needed an infielder uh, for the playoffs. Like, he was still around. They were considering him, at least, or thinking about it, as you would with anybody at AAA. So seeing guys answer the bell like that. Um, was really, really special for me this year and something that I'm going to carry with me moving forward. I think that might be a trickle-down effect of the prospect 
promotion incentives. Um, if you have a guy on your opening day roster and they win rookie of the year or they win MVP in their first three years, you get an extra draft pick. And I, I think we're starting to see that trickle down a little bit. That's something to watch moving forward. Uh, number three, these last three are all going to be involved with the MLB pipeline game of the month. Uh, I went to five of the six this year. I love being on the ground. I love talking to people, seeing these guys up close uh, after writing about them for so long or, or seeing them on a lot of video. And uh, one great thing about the minor leagues is access is tremendous. Uh, but number three was just a game I got to see before the pipeline game of the month in April. It was when Jordan Lawler hit a walk-off single in the 10th inning for double a Amarillo playing in Hodgetown. Uh, but it was part of a 10 run comeback for the sod poodles. Uh, you have to think that stadium, it's extremely hitter friendly. Uh, no lead is ever safe, but like after hearing that for years and years, they've been there since 2019 hearing ab about how hitter friendly it was. And then you're still watching a game and thinking they're not going to come back from this. This game's pretty much over. And then seeing them do that, Jordan Lawler hit a home run as part of a big, the big comeback and then walked it off in the final inning. He was the big name to know uh, in that series against Frisco. Evan Carter was also there. Uh, he ended up being part of the, the World Series champs with the Rangers. But like Jordan Lawler being the ho home guy playing in his home park, he was somebody I was really excited to see. And then to see him pull off those heroics was really special. Uh, number two is an interview we did, or I did here on the pod with Dylan Cruz. Um, and the reason I bring that up is, again, just going back to that access situation where Dylan Cruz was one of the best college performers we've seen in recent years at LSU, helped them win a college World Series, won the Golden Spikes Award, uh, was putting up crazy numbers all season long, was a, considered uh, at the number one spot for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It, that ended up going to his teammate, Paul Skeens, Cruz goes number two to the Washington Nationals. They become the first pair of teammates to go one-two in draft history. And, you know, this guy's seen it all. And, and as far as it goes as amateur ball, you know, speaking of getting pushed aggressively, he ends the year at AA Harrisburg. I was in Binghamton when Harrisburg was there for the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month. And I wanted to get him for the pot. I just wanted to sit down with him, see how it was going to go. And it was a really good conversation. And it was a really easy conversation. I think part of that is, you can see how he deals with the media and he's been around the media for a long time being in the sec. But, you know, after hearing how big of a player this guy could be to just get him one-on-one -on -one in a very relaxed environment uh, and for him to be pretty candid in that interview was just what is special about the minor leagues to me. So that's number two. And number one for me has to be my favorite story. I wrote this year about Ellie De La Cruz, uh, when I went to the pipeline game of the month in Louisville, uh, Ellie De La, De La Cruz, I know he didn't do as well as everybody would have hoped in the major leagues, struck out a whole bunch, but I still think he was the most electric player in the minor leagues this year. The guy could run like lightning. He could hit the ball as hard as anybody uh, at the lower levels or even the major league level, to be honest with you. He could switch hit. He could play a really dynamic shortstop or third base wherever you needed him. Uh, and then hearing all these stories about him and then getting to see him was really neat. But one of my favorite things to do in baseball is just ask people their favorite stories about guys who are that legendary or could be that legendary. And you ask anybody about Ellie De La Cruz and they all had a story about him. Um, you know, one of the stories came from Andrew Abbott, who ended the year with the Reds and, and was a pretty good pitcher for them. 
Um, he said he watched him hit a homer at double A Chattanooga and you could see both dugouts immediately sprinting to the track man data because they wanted to see how far it went out. And in, just to witness, you know, a ball, see how far it went. It was an estimated 512 feet. Who knows how accurate that is, but it, it seemed like both dugouts were laughing. Uh, Chucky Robinson told the story about how Ellie De La Cruz tripled in, in late April and made it to the bag in 11.19 seconds, uh, which was the second fastest home to third time triple a this season. And he thought he was jogging he, because he's Ellie De La Cruz. He's so big. And then getting to talk to Ellie about that and you know, what makes him so special. I don't know. It came together really, really well um, between sourcing between fun stories. Uh, you know, the, these guys are going to make it big. I, I believe Ellie De La Cruz is still going to be a superstar. He just needs more access to major league pitching. He's done this before. Uh, so to get him before the people of Cincinnati really got to latch onto him and experience him for themselves. You know, I, I hope people read that and got excited for the next generation of Reds. Um, I think they're about to turn a page and Ellie De La Cruz is a big part of that, but being able to participate in that story and help tell that story was one of my favorite things I do in the minor leagues. And that was just the latest perfect example of it. So those are my five, my five favorite things. It's a lot of like first person stuff, a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed That's doing good, and, and sharing with people, but yeah, so there, there we go. Uh, so Ben, you were up next. Yeah. Well, those are Sam's five, but then there was uh the heretofore unknown free space, which yeah, I, I just thought that would be like shared amongst us, you know, kind <laughs> of like bingo. The means we only all need four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone hasn't been at the bingo bingo hall lately. It's a uh, four in a free space. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not old like no, you guys. No, that's good. Not been to the bingo <laughs> hall. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. oh, okay. I'm just catching shots over here for no reason. I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Sam. I played bingo on my 21st birthday. True story. Went to a ah. local bingo hall and, uh, you know, play some, play some bingo. Um, yeah, but, you know, it tied into Sam's free space. I mean, um, well, first of all, this, you know, this concept, this is not some original concept, but, um, you know, doing this on the podcast was kind of an offshoot of the fact that I did, um, something similar in my newsletter uh, this week, uh, which will be out, you know, on Thursday and uh, probably a standalone MILB.com article on Friday. So I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to be totally redundant with that. But one thing I did put in um, the newsletter, you know, among my favorite things was, uh, you know, the podcast in general. Yes. Um, but also the episode Sam mentioned specifically when I tried to choose one favorite yeah, I went with the broadcaster's uh, favorite calls. Um, and, and part of that for me is uh, having been on the road for so many years um, during the season. Um, I often just know the broadcasters best and then also cross paths with certain broadcasters, you know, during away games where they, they just happen to be the opponent. And I've just gotten to know so many through the years and really respect uh, the hustle and grind of the whole uh, occupation, uh, you know, which Tyler obviously knows firsthand. And um I thought that article was great just to showcase 10 current minor league broadcasters. And obviously that is something we can do again. Um, but beyond that, what am I going to go with? I mean, I guess I'll start and these aren't really ranked, but um, with number one or number five, if we're counting down, I'll say number one, um, I go with the ballpark guides, um, the minor league ballpark guides. You know, I've been doing this job a long time, but um, a project of that scale and scope uh, we have not done before. 
And uh, if you're not familiar, you know, that's a standalone ballpark guide for every uh, current minor league facility, 119 in all. And, um, you know, people can use them just to learn more about a particular ballpark and team, uh, but also to plan road trips. And, you know, the homepage for the ballpark guides, which is MLB.com slash ballpark guides, I believe. But just Google, you know, minor league ballpark guides. Um you know, there's an interactive map. You can look at a map of every minor league team in the United States and click on each and try to, you know, devise your own road trip. And it's been great to get feedback from people saying, you know, that was really helpful. And um, after a holiday break, um, one of the key to-do list items for me in 2024 uh, and several coworkers, but certainly for me, um, will be to update the ballpark guides. Because as you guys know, as a lot of listeners know, uh, there's a lot of change in the world of minor league baseball. Haven't been a lot of new flat out new ballparks, but when it comes to food items, uh, sometimes when it comes to logos, when it comes to group areas or seating areas, et cetera, et cetera, you cannot do a project like this and let it sit too long before it becomes, um, if not irrelevant, um, at least somewhat unreliable in terms of the information. So you're going to spend a lot of time updating those as well. Uh, number two, let's go with... Uh, well, we talked about, uh, you know, my son Harry and how I've been enjoying, you know, holidays with him. Um, got to take him to his first minor league game. We talked about that a little bit on the podcast, but taking him to a Brooklyn Cyclones game and having uh, that be his first uh, live baseball experience. I mean, he was predictably more into hot dogs and French fries and actually sitting there and watching baseball. But he loves Coney Island, where the Brooklyn Cyclones are um, situated. So he loves going to Coney Island in any context with the beach, the water the rides, the food, and the fact that there's a minor league team there in his favorite place, I think really bodes well for the future of going to more Cyclones games. And we have a picture of him in our living room at the game. And, you know, he sees it and says like, you know, I want to go to a baseball game. He said that today, even though when he was at the game, he didn't seem like that into it, but you know, it's a memory he has now. And I think, uh, you know, next year when he'll be three uh, during the season, uh, you know, it'll be just that much better as he has even more context for baseball. And of course, I'm going to you know, encourage his minor league fandom. And that kid has the best wardrobe of any two year old I know because of all the uh, minor league T-shirts I've been able to buy him on my road trips. And uh, it has made me aware for the first time, like going to team stores. I'm like, oh, I hope they have, you know, I was looking for three T size this summer, but not every store had, you know, toddler sizes. So. You know, that's not something I'd write about or like complain about openly. But, you know, when that was the case, I was like, oh, man, I can't get Harry's shirt. There's no there's no toddler sizes. So if you run a team store, um, please do your best to uh, have toddler sizes because uh, we got to get the youth. Got to start them young uh, on their minor league baseball journeys. Um, number three. I just want to give a shout out, you know, to who I consider uh, my MVC most valuable colleague, uh, Josh Jackson, and working with him uh, all year long. It's not like the first year I've worked with him, obviously, but um, especially as we've gotten into a rhythm with the newsletter, um, not only does Josh do a segment in the in my weekly newsletter every week, Josh Jackson interrupts where he plugs um, his segment on this podcast, goes to the minors. Um, he also produces the newsletter, and that's a lot of work because I can be wordy and have a lot of pictures and so if you enjoy reading that newsletter, um, you know, Josh plays a huge behind the scenes role um, putting that together. And that is indicative of his job as well. He has some a few public facing things and he writes some stories, but he is uh, huge behind the scenes and making uh, MILB.com and MLB Pipeline run. 
and he's uh, really great at those things. But my hope for him in the future is for him to have as much uh, time to flex his creative muscles as possible. And uh, any chance I can get to work with Josh uh, is is really enjoyed. So I want to give a shout out to Josh Jackson because uh, he's all of our friends and he does a lot. And as I said, a lot of it's behind the scenes uh, that people might not realize, but it's really important. And I'm trying to think of now a way to insult Josh somehow or, or at least uh, say something related to his uh, persona of a dude who emerged from you know 1908 and now lives his life, you know, in rural Maine, uh, as if it's still the uh, Theodore Roosevelt administration, but uh, whatever. I, I mean, yeah. I got to say his transition from the typewriter to the uh, current laptop took a, took a little, little longer than we expected, but he got there in the end. It did. It did. But he still prefers, prefers the telegraph um, as a primary mode of communication. And he's always like getting mad at me because my Morse code is a little sloppy. And, you know, well, the just, weird thing is like he ends lines and emails with stop. Yeah. Which is, like you don't you don't need to do that, Josh. Like we, uh, you know, we all get it the same in Outlook. <laughs> it's not limited by characters. <laughs> yeah, that's a goal for Josh in 2024. Stop. Stop. <laughs> just hit a period. We know. We know. <laughs> Uh, but that was number three. Um, number four, um, I'll use this as just kind of a a stand-in for a larger concept. But, you know, when I'm on the road, um, it's always been a priority. But especially in recent years, you know, for me to do profiles of longtime ballpark characters. So I did a lot of them this year. And one of the things I really like about them is it's often the first and likely only in a lot of cases, you know, more national profile these people will get. So... I, I really do feel a sense of responsibility in putting them together. And often, as much as Facebook is not something I use anymore and you know we find to be a less than ideal social platform in a lot of ways, sometimes when I write these stories about beloved ballpark characters and the team shares it, it's just so heartwarming to, for me to see that I've provided a forum for people to just provide their own memories of this person or just to celebrate this person and, um, you know, to get response from the people I profiled about how much it meant to them uh, is really important to me um, to get that kind of feedback. So, you know, one example of many is Chester the Usher in Tacoma. Uh, you know, he's been a usher for the Tacoma Rainiers for many years, uh, but he grew up in Brooklyn, actually not far from where I live or where Sam lives. And it was a huge Dodger, Brooklyn Dodgers fan, you know, that stereotypical 1950s Brooklyn childhood, listening to Vin Scully, getting to the game whenever possible on public transportation. And he just shares that love of baseball every day um, at Cheney Stadium, the home of the Rainiers. He, you know, always has balls to give the kids that he hides in cups of peanuts. And uh, he often brings old newspapers and magazines, you know, from the 50s and 60s to share with like you know, season ticket holders based on their interests. And he just fosters a love of baseball every day. And uh, I love being able to celebrate those types of characters in the minors. And uh, that was number four, correct? And uh, so here's number five. And I'm just looking at my list because I, I I could we could all, <laughs> you know, make this our top 30. Um Number five, I'm going to say in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Pho Huang Vietnamese restaurant. I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce it, but to me, kind of like using Chester as a stand in for a larger concept, um, you know, often on the road, I don't have the time to just go to these, you know, maybe like if some a place someone recommended, it just kind of catches catch can. And uh, Columbus was the last place I visited this year. 
um, on a Sunday afternoon. I was going to fly back home that night. My flight was canceled. And, you know, I had to scramble. I was in a parking lot after the game for, you know, better part of two hours, figuring out my plan of how to spend the night and uh, get home the next day. And it was stressful, but then it kind of got, I cleared it up. And then I was like, ah, time for some dinner. And I just, in my GPS, just typed in Vietnamese near me. I love Vietnamese. And it was this kind of rundown strip mall somewhere in Columbus, Ohio, completely nondescript location. And inside, there was like more people than I would have thought. It had a warm, generous atmosphere inside. The food was really good. You know, spring rolls, some, uh, you know, pork chops with rice, uh, salty lemonade, which I always get at Vietnamese restaurants. It's often on the menu, but it is a kind of salty plum lemonade i love the sweet sour salty mix in the lemonade but anyway the meal really hit the spot and it just seemed so warm and uh, convivial inside but yet i felt like completely comfortable being alone and i think because it was my last road trip of the year my last night on the road of the year i just felt so grateful for that that just somewhere a strip mall in columbus ohio you just find this place where you feel welcome and warm and you just feel just you love the people who run the restaurant. You love the other people inside. And by extension, you love America. And that's where I feel almost like most patriotic because we, we we always get so down about all the things going on in this country and often for good reason. But I think if you just stop and look, you know, I'm just having this re- meal, this restaurant right now, and it's wonderful. And I love these people and I, I love everyone in it. And you can find those places all over the country. And it was the opening day of the NFL season. And I was handed homemade uh, cookies with like, you know, a football helmet uh, cookies I made uh, football cookies on the way out, which I couldn't eat because I'm gluten-free, but it was just like such a sweet touch that showed the uh, kind of above and beyond care they put in at the restaurant. Then I'm in a parking lot of an airport hotel listening to the Eagles play the Patriots in my rental car as I'm packing up and the sunset is going down over the Columbus airport. And none of this sounds fun, but I just found it so beautiful. And I was almost crying after that whole sequence of events. Just like, I love this. I love exploring these towns. I love minor league baseball. I love Columbus, Ohio. I love Vietnamese food. I love you. <laughs> well, the thing I love about that story on top of, you know, just it's the quintessential Ben's biz story is like through our travels uh, to see minor league baseball games. And that's at the core of everything we do. And you've always talked about this of seeing the country and experiencing American culture through baseball. But like now you have a Vietnamese place in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't that just crazy to kind of think about? Like, it, on top of the ballpark guides, which tell people, "Hey, eat here, go here, stay here, whatever." It's just funny to think like there is a place that semi belongs to you now. That, yeah, and, and that uh, large, you never I mean, have otherwise, if not for baseball. Yeah, and so many of my favorite things could tie into people I know on the road, or you know, long time you know people in Louisville and Buffalo and um. Appleton and in all these places, people who I'm, I'm happy to meet when I come back seven or eight years later and catch up with, or maybe have a meal if we have the time, uh, all these people, places and things that, yeah, become kind of uh, subsumed into um, my larger life experience is just something I'm so grateful for. I like that. I like all this so far. Um, I uh, I just want to shout out. I had Josh on my list as well, uh, and so I just want to put that out there as a as a wild card. Another free space. We're all thankful for Josh. But Josh, we don't get to hear from uh, you know regularly on the podcast, except in his role as the creator of Ghost of the Miners. But we don't get to talk to Josh. Josh, we kind of talk to the character Josh. Uh, but he truly is just the greatest uh, human being, and so we all love Josh. I'm going to put that one just aside. As a Josh acknowledgement, um, I this will come as no surprise to anyone. One of my favorite things about 
minor league baseball every year, but especially in 2023 and as we continue to move into this new era in minor league baseball, is that teams are still doing a very good job in being creative with new alternate identities, new promotions, new a lot of the things that I think people were worried about with the MLB takeover of minor league baseball and oh, is it going to be homogenized and is everything going to be uh, you know, corporatized and and ruined? Um Teams are still doing a lot of really cool and really creative stuff. And I'm thinking back to, you know, all the different conversations that we had on the podcast this year, uh, dating all the way back to, I want to say it was like our first, maybe our first episode of the season. Uh, but it was when we talked uh, about the Akron sauerkraut balls. And, uh, you know, it was our second straight year talking about an Akron food identity because we talked about the JoJo's as well. But these things that, minor league baseball teams introduce uh, to the popular consciousness of people who follow minor league baseball. I never would have known about a sauerkraut ball or a Jojo or a garbage plate or um, whatever. And these teams across the country continue to express their own identities and express their community's identities in a way that we don't see in other sports. And I find that very cool. I also find it very cool when other sports you can tell take their cue from minor league baseball and teams will come up with a promotion that you think, oh, yeah, I've seen that at a, at a minor league park. Or, uh, you know, they'll suit up as an alternate identity or they will um, do something that just feels very minor league inspired. I find that cool. And I think that's one of minor league baseball's biggest contributions um, to, to the American cultural landscape. Uh, somewhat along that line. Second is I love getting a chance to talk to uh, the people around minor league baseball who make those things possible. Uh, Dan Simon, who we talked to a few weeks ago, created the Rome Emperor's brand. Uh, it's so awesome to to talk with someone like that about what the process is uh, to create those things. Uh, you know, Todd Radom, we've had on the show before. Uh, we talked with Greensboro about their new logos, not a rebrand, but a, a refresh uh, and what it took to come up with the new identity for the Grasshoppers. We got a chance uh, to catch up with uh, Tim Vangel, their uh, general manager, about that. Um, those things are really neat because minor league baseball tries to stay fresh in certain ways and it has to do it in a vein in which other sports I don't really think have to. Uh, and the people, the creativity that goes into uh, the identities of these teams is so amazing. And extending that point out, the operations of these teams as well. This year, you know, getting a chance to talk with clubbies. John Weinberg from Bowie joined us a little while ago. Uh, merchandise managers. Luke Tracy was on the show last week uh, to talk about how crazy uh, his 2023 started with having to essentially rebuild the entirety of the Akron Rubber Ducks uh, team store. Minor League Baseball front office employees are always among my favorite things, and uh, they are the people who make the Minor League Baseball world function. And that's a, a pretty incredible thing. Um, number three is baseball's continuing recognition of its history and of its um, previously, I think, underserved fan bases. And I'm talking, of course, about Copa de la Diversión, which uh, we continue uh, to expand and enhance in 2023 and beyond. But also... This year, the acknowledgement of the Negro Leagues as a major league with the the way that stats are taken into account and baseball's history is taken into account. My favorite element of Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball's recognition of black baseball history is the new uh, game that's going to be played at Rickwood Field, which I almost called the Rickwood Classic, which isn't technically the Rickwood Classic that used to be played there, uh, the Birmingham Barons at the oldest ballpark uh, in the country that hosted Negro Leagues Baseball, Rickwood Field in Birmingham, which uh, opened in 1910. 
Next year, the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Francisco Giants are going to be playing there on June 20th. Uh, Birmingham will also play a game there uh, against Montgomery. And the embrace of baseball's history by baseball right now, I find very cool, whether it's something like playing at Rickwood Field or playing at the Field of Dreams. Um, that is something that's very important because what baseball has over any other sport is history. And uh, some people, I think, take that as a knock. I think other people who embrace it in the right way know that it is something to be appreciated and um, showcased. And I think baseball is doing a really good job with that. Um, this one, kind of a, a cop out. I guess it's sort of the free space, but it spins off, I think, of what you guys said. Um, our fans this year, I feel like we're so... Uh, vocal with how much they enjoy the podcast every once in a while. And you guys both know it. I think we kind of all lapse into this, like, well, are we really moving the needle with the podcast? Are we really, you know, are people interested in the things that we talk about? And even just over the last month, we have gotten so many amazing emails uh, and such great feedback from people. We got an email the other day from uh, Russell Aldridge. And Russell, I wanted to shout you out uh, specifically. You just took the time to write, I mean, such a, a heartfelt and thankful and gracious email you know, giving us, I think, uh, the sort of feedback that we hope people feel about the show. But to hear that from somebody uh, is just, I mean, I really have a very difficult time putting into words when you do feel like, oh, yeah, there are people who enjoy what we do and we can be a bright spot for people. That's one of my favorite feelings in the world. Uh, we said last week or two weeks ago, Johnny Bolin, who is one of our longtime favorites, uh, longtime listener of the podcast, was a guest on the podcast for the fan episode earlier this year. Uh, Johnny got in touch with us after the Gratitude Guys episode, which was really cool. And we're just so appreciative of everybody who tunes in. Uh, you know, we've tried to keep this thing fresh. It's been eight years, uh, which is hard to believe, but the fact that people not only continue to tune in, but people continue to find the podcast. Uh, you know, Russell said in his email, he really only started listening to us in the last couple of years. Uh, and that's just really amazing for us that we actually get a chance to to have a positive impact, hopefully, on uh, on people's lives. Not the people who are annoyed by the way every episode starts with me just rambling about some nonsense. But, uh, you know, I try to keep it somewhat in check. Uh, and the final thing for me and this, I mean, talk about self-serving and a cop-out, but my favorite thing of 2023 uh, in a work-slash-baseball context was the World Baseball Classic in March, uh, in which we got to see some of the most incredible baseball ever played. And I was the luckiest dude in the world that I got to be on the broadcast for, for a handful of those games. And uh, you know, the Shohei Otani, Mike Trout at bat immediately went down as one of the iconic moments in the history of the sport, a sport that goes back 150 years, uh, nearly 150 in a professional context, but 150 uh, plus in a creation uh, and, and love context. Um, it's pretty amazing that we all in March got to witness one of the all-time great moments in the history of baseball. And uh, that's something that is will forever be one of my favorite things. Uh, and I'm very lucky to have gotten to put that on my list in 2023. And I can't wait for, uh, for the 2026 Classic either because it's going to be awesome, especially if it comes down to Trout versus Otani on two different teams. Very excited about that. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's crazy to think about that was this year. Yeah, isn't that nuts? It, it feels like a lifetime ago. I remember so exactly where ago. I was, but yeah, that was just in the spring. Um, yeah, that was nine months ago, which it feels like it could have been five years ago. 
And that's, right. you know, how long we had to wait actually a little bit longer between World Baseball Classics from uh, the 2017 edition to this year. But yeah, it was only nine months ago, which is nuts. That's, you know, the same thing when I was thinking back on, okay, the the Akron sauerkraut balls. Did we have that conversation in January or was that in like 2018? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, sauerkraut balls are actually a New Year's tradition. In um, right, that's right. So they announced it was a very rare January first press release because they were tying into the fact that in Akron and Northeast Ohio, sauerkraut balls are eaten on New Year's Day. So um, the press release came out January first. So that must have been very early in 2023. But within the parameters of this segment, Tyler, it was a 2023. Thank uh, goodness. And then, of course, they played. Um, I forget when, but in the summer, you know, it made their actually on-field debut as a sauerkraut balls. And yeah, World Baseball Classic nine months ago. Um, I think we're seeing a little baby boom right now. We're calling them w, WBC babies. Uh, being born. Everybody was so excited. You know what? In in Japan, you might not be wrong, but the celebration that followed that win. Um, everybody was that excited over the, uh, the wrap to the 2023 world baseball classic. Um, all right. We also, in addition to just our favorite things, baseball related, we also came up with, uh, a pop culture side to this thing, which, uh, Ben, was this your idea? This is a great, this is a great way to end this episode. Yeah. Like all great ideas. It was mine. <laughs> it was either you or Josh. Lord knows yeah. it wasn't me or Sam. Yeah. So. Here are our three categories. Something I watched, which can be a movie, TV show, whatever. Something I read and something I listened to or saw being a, a musical endeavor, a concert, a new artist, something you, you came across and you fell in love with. Uh, are we going in the same order? Sam, we kicking that off with you? Let's go in reverse order. Ooh, interesting. What the, what the hell? Yeah, well, and I'd say you could make it four. You could make like, you know, listened and saw like, Saw being a live performance and okay. uh, listen being an album, but you know, okay. however you need to. um, I okay, I am going to kick things off with watched, and I'm gonna, um, I'm going to qualify this in a way in which I'm not saying that this is the greatest movie that I have ever seen or it was the greatest movie even that I saw this year. But the movie that I'm going to put in the watch category is Oppenheimer, which sounds like, oh, of course, it's the nerd who loves history saw the big history movie in 2023. And that's but the reason I'm putting Oppenheimer in that role is because it's the first time since the pandemic that I felt like, oh, I'm back at the movies. You know, like I've seen movies, I've been to movie theaters and I have seen movies since, but Oppenheimer being in a theater where it's loud and it's like a huge picture and you just feel immersed in something that takes you completely out of your life and the escapism of that, that was a feeling that I really, really missed. Uh, and I mean, it was a phenomenal movie. It was, you know, like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Um amazing movie, but that is my, uh, thing that I watched because of the experience that it gave me. Um, the thing that I read is a book that I actually just finished and, uh, it was recommended to me by none other than Josh Jackson, of course. But I told Josh, as soon as it was over, I said, I think the highest compliment that I give a book is when I finish the book and think, all right, the only thing that I ever want to read is books exactly like this. And I'm going to be thinking about this one for like the next however many years. And it's a book called City of Thieves, um, which is, I think, a fairly recently published book. Uh, but it is a novel, uh, a World War II novel by David Benioff. And it, uh, wow, it was actually published in 2008. Goodness gracious. Um 
according to the summary of it, it is a coming of age story, uh, but it's set in the siege of Leningrad in Russia. And literally the premise of the book, essentially to not give you too many details is two guys are sent on a mission to find a dozen eggs in the city of Leningrad during the siege of Leningrad. And it is one of the most delightful books, which is, it sounds like such a dark story when you present it that way. It's one of the most like lovable, charming, delightful books that I've ever read. Uh, and so I recommend it highly. Uh, and finally, the uh, the thing that I listened to or saw, I didn't attend a ton of concerts in 2023, uh, but I did come across a band that I fell in love with, um, which is called The War and Treaty. And uh, it's a, I believe it's a husband and wife duo. And they play like, I don't know, it's kind of like a, sometimes they're a Southern rock sound. Uh, sometimes they're very bluesy. Sometimes they're almost gospel sounding. I know they were, I believe they were at the country music awards, which made me feel kind of gross. Uh, I don't like country and I don't want to be one of those people who's like, no, it turns out that I'm a country fan at 38 years old. Uh, but I love the Warren Treaty. They were uh, one of my highlights of 2023. Okay. Ben, you're up. Okay. Um, you know, when in the watched category, um, you just think of movies right off the bat. And I saw some good movies this year for sure, but I'm so just disappointed that I've not seen Killers of the Flower Moon. I, I just don't even want to choose a movie. It came out and Jill and I are like, wow, we have to get a babysitter and we have to go see it. And somehow that hasn't happened yet. And I don't even know if it's still in the theater. So that's bumming me, bumming me out. But one thing I watched at home, it's not a movie, it's a three-part HBO documentary that I thought was fantastic, is uh, Telemarketers, if anyone's heard of that. Um, it's a really interesting premise, it's about telemarketing, uh, but basically it was this guy who was still in his teenage years, uh, always had a camera with him, and this is like in the early 2000s, 2004, 2005, he's kind of not in a great place in his life, getting a lot of trouble, still a teenager, he starts working for CDG. Um, the this telemarketing company in uh, New Jersey, and he just filmed in the office all the time. And this company hired, it didn't matter your criminal record. It didn't matter your drug usage. It just mattered if you could sell. So this like footage from a telemarketing company in the early 21st century is fascinating. But then one of the, um, Pat, one of the best sellers, you know, he just more and more gets into like what a scam this all is because they're selling, um, what they're, you know, calling people about is, you know, support the police. So they kind of use intimidation, you know, to, you know, to make people think they're with the police, to make it feel like it's in their best interest to support the police. But it's not really the police departments. It's like the patrolman's benevolent, you know, society and stuff like that. Um, so they were taking like 80, 90 percent of the money and just keeping it for themselves and giving the rest to the patrolman's organizations. But then time passes and this filmmaker connects with Pat, the top seller, who's had some down and up, you know, years for sure. And then they go on a, um, you know, quest to kind of expose the industry and, you know, go through the halls of power. And it's not totally successful, but just this kind of down and out dude in New Jersey and a uh, guy with a camera following him around, getting into the specifics of uh, telemarketing and what a scam it is. And and just the deep love for, um, you know, people in New Jersey, uh, who are more on the fringes, you know, there's just no judgment there. Anyway, really good movie or really good, uh, three-part documentary. 
Um, a book I read, it was actually in the beginning of the year, uh, I believe like January, February, one of the best books I've read in a long time, The Terror. I became obsessed with it. It's about the Franklin Expedition, a true life Arctic expedition that- uh, Putting this on my Goodreads list right now, by the oh, way. Oh, it's so good. Josh read it too, actually, on my recommendation. Um, it's a based on a true story and super, super um, well-researched and so much historical detail, but there were two ships, The Terror being one of them, which is like- in retrospect, like, what do you think is going to happen when the terror goes out to the Arctic? But the terror... We named this one the boat crash, and I can't <laughs> believe it sank. Yeah, exactly. It was the terror and the Erebus, E-R-E-B-U-S. And those ships were lost, never found. So the author, Dan Simmons, then kind of extrapolates what happens to them, uh, adds a supernatural element, but it doesn't feel hokey. It just feels like an extension of the true terror they were already going through. And with the um, detail, the historical detail, it's just so immersive. It's one of the most grim books you'll ever read. Um, just things you think things could not possibly be worse and have people still be alive. And then it just gets worse. But there's something in the uh, organization and discipline of the ships and the men uh, and the captain, you know, is a real big part of the story, uh, Crozier, um, that is also weirdly inspiring. So as, as much as it's one of the grimmest, literally darkest books you'll ever read, um, I was also just <laughs> inspired by the resourcefulness of the men as they uh, went through a true terror. And uh, there's an AMC uh, like six part adaptation, which is pretty well regarded, but I watched it so soon after reading the book that I was just too nitpicky of like, and also the men didn't seem all that cold in the AMC movie. And I was just like, no, there's no way your face would not be covered right now. I know that's good for acting, but like, come on. And, you know, I was a little too nitpicky with, with all that. Um, you should be shivering more. Yeah, exactly. This dialogue like, is too easily understandable. Yeah, that's and it wasn't even that understandable because there was a bunch of like British guys. I was like, ah, like weird you... old British accents. That are yeah, I was like, to understand. You... Yeah, I was like, can you speak like English? I can understand. I actually put subtitles on it, even though they were speaking English. But anyhow, it's it's still a pretty good adaptation. But the book I thought was just phenomenal. Um, for concerts, I saw a lot of good stuff. Um, not as many as they used to, um, but. The band I've seen the most in life is this Japanese psychedelic over-the-top rock group called Acid Mother's Temple. I saw them for the first time September 14th, 2001, you know, three days after 9-11. I think I might have brought them up on this podcast before. Uh, and they're just professionals. They're warriors. They have just toured every single year since 2001 until the pandemic. So I had seen them basically every year since 2001, often two or three times a year, especially living in New York City, where they'd often start and end uh, shows uh, tours in New York City or play a Brooklyn show and a Manhattan show. I've seen them. I've lost count, but like 30 some times. But uh, they went from they didn't tour in 2020, 21 or 22. So for them to come back, it was just kind of like they don't blow my mind the way they used to because I've seen them so many times when I was younger. I was just like, oh, my God, the riff is just dissolving and taking on molecular form and floating above me and then reassembling in new ways. And now I'm a little bit more like, yeah, they're just uh old pros out on the road, but just to see them after four years, it's just like, I don't know them personally, but just like, hello, old friends. And I think that speaks to, you know, the beauty of live music when you get to see a band a lot of times and just appreciate their professionalism and hustle and grind. Um, and then my favorite album of the year was Sleeper Mods, UK Grimm, a uh, British duo, one doing all the music, the other doing all the words, almost a little bit of a hip hop element to it in the way the vocals are delivered, but they're more classified as like post-punk compared to the fall sometimes, things like that. 
but it is uh, often quite vitriolic, uh, often some political undertones, uh, a lot of great takedown songs of just things that the Jason Williams and the lead singer doesn't like. And as much as I try to be a positive, upbeat guy, my whole life music I've gravitated toward has been more uh, dark and a little bit angry. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, psychoanalyze it. But uh, Sleaford Mods, UK Grim, start to finish, I think that album is phenomenal. And my favorite song being track two, D-I-Y, D-I-W-H-Y. Do it yourself, but D-I-Y. Anyway, Sleaford Mods, I love them. I saw them live too at Irving Plaza. Great show. All right. Um, so for me, uh, watched, I was going to say Killers of the Flower Moon. I do think that is the best movie of the year. Um, and I think it's a Martin Scorsese masterpiece. Uh, it does a really good job of holding up the mirror uh, to American history um, and, you know, how certain people got their wealth in this country and what was stolen from, from you know, in this case, the Osage in Oklahoma uh, and the way it happened and who is a villain and how they're treated um, and how obvious it is that they're a villain, even if it's not obvious to themselves, um, but also the way it holds up a mirror to American storytelling in a way with the end. And I won't spoil that for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but there's a very, very interesting ending that I think puts a certain spin on this uh, in a way that I, I won't say only Scorsese can, but it's, it's very knowing that he's the one who gets to tell this story. Um, you know, as a, as a guy from New York telling a story about basically, you know, the destruction of the Osage in Oklahoma. So highly recommend it, but the one I'm going to specifically shout out here um, just because I want people to see it. And I don't know how many, of our listeners have is past lives um which might be nominated for best picture this year it's a debut film by celine song basically about a korean immigrant uh who comes to the united states through canada she grows up here she you know becomes she gets married here she lives in new york city but she had a relationship with a young boy when she was young you know they were close friends and who knows what would have happened had she stayed in korea and then they meet up again and then it's this whole discussion of like, who are we now? Are we still those little kids? Are we different now? Our paths are crossing again. Um, do we have this link? You know, are, is there something romantic here? Is there not? It, it's it's an opportunity for them to really, you know, discover or investigate that in themselves in a way that a lot of us don't get. And has one of the best movie endings of all time. It's right up there uh, with Casablanca, with like the perfect ending. For me so i highly recommend that movie if you haven't got a chance to see it yet uh past lives for reed this is isn't gonna be groundbreaking but i finally read it by stephen king this year um i did it as part of a book club that i have with two of my best friends here in the city Brittany and jake uh we always choose a, a big book and then read it separately and then we find the kind of like with you and the terror ben um, watch the media that it you know that is based on the book afterwards so we got together and watched it chapter one and chapter two afterwards i definitely prefer the book just because it is so big and you're spending so much time with those characters but you get to know them i mean stephen king is fantastic at building a world and building characters that you care about i if i ever got on a plane and they said the pilot is stephen king i would immediately get off the plane because the man does not know how to land a plane to save his life uh the ending still you know, it, I have problems with the ending, as I do with most of his books, but I enjoy the journey so much. And after hearing about that book for years and years and years, I'm finally getting it to myself and feeling like I do have a relationship with the characters, not Pennywise, 
not Pennywise, uh, but all the kids and then the eventual grownups. Um, that was really special to me. Uh, listen to what? I just you you taking pains to say you don't have a relationship with Pennywise. Like <laughs> you get canceled. I don't want anyone to think. <laughs> I don't. I, that I'm pro Pennywise on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I just go into the sewers every once in a while, and you know, is uh, that weird? Is that, that weird? weird? I, I don't think that's weird with my balloons. Yeah. Um, also, I think that we should just posit this to Josh Jackson to ask Stephen King because they're, I assume, neighbors. There's only like five people in Maine. So yeah. I assume they they live in short, you know, distance from each other. Yeah, they're both like aldermen on some town council in <laughs> Maine. <laughs> they're allocating funds for like, oh, we have to we have to get new garland for the uh, for the city hall. Anyway, That's- sorry, Sam. No, no, that's perfect. Um, kind of sticking along those lines, listen to a guy I got really into this year was Noah Khan, um, who has really gained steam this past year. He was actually on SNL as the musical guest a few weeks ago. Um, but he just has this kind of like Simon and Garfunkel feel to him, mixed with a little bit of Mumford and Sons to bring that kind of like modern folky feeling. But he's singing about New England and a lot of things that I can identify with and what it like his famous song now is called stick season. And if you've grown up in new England and you know what it's like when all the leaves all of a sudden go away and what that feeling is like, uh, it, it really speaks really well to that. Um, you know, I know people have sung about new England before I, I grew up with the, the music of James Taylor. Like I get it. Um, but having somebody else kind of express what that modern feeling is like up there, uh, was something that really, it, it tickled me, but it also inspired me in a way of like, Oh, this is something you can do. Like, you can just write about this stuff. I know that's very first base and kind of obvious, but um, to hear him do it in that way has kind of got the itch back on me to, like, get into more creative writing and and try to figure out how to share that experience for me. Um, and then Saw is actually, you know, I talked about seeing Radio City right now as I sit here, uh, was Tyler Childers. I saw him play at Radio City this summer. Uh, and that was kind of important to me because I've been listening to him for a lot, a while now. And when I found out he was playing Radio City, you talk about like these parasocial relationships you have with artists. And I just thought, man, that's really cool for him. Like that must be one of the coolest moments of his career so far. And I don't know the guy. He grew up in Kentucky. Like we're not, we're a little bit close in age, but not, you know, we don't share a lot of similar things. Um, but I was just kind of like proud of him that he got that opportunity and I wanted to be there to see what it was like. And you could see like how big his eyes got just realizing how big of a room he's playing and the way he set up that show. It was him basically sitting down next to a black and white TV in a rocking chair for the first three songs, like watching Andy Griffith or something and just singing songs acoustic, just him and his guitar. And then after that, it opened up and there was like an entire orchestra and you can tell he really wanted to knock it out of the park. Uh, for something of that venue. So to see him do that in person on the first night uh, was really special to me. And the cool thing for him next is that he's playing MSG in 2024. So he's continuing to level up and I'm excited to see what he does next. But to check in with him, that was the first time I'd ever seen him live uh, was a special experience. And I just love how creative it was for that setting. I'm also just sitting here thinking like, what are the books that I read that I've forgotten about? What other movies and TV shows that I read that I've forgotten about? What other musical artists that was I like, oh, oh yeah, I'm really into this person that I forgot about? Well, the one that came to my mind, I almost was going to say this 
Tyler, until you chose your your movie was American Prometheus. Oh yeah, the movie or the book that that's on my that's on of. my want to read list. Which yeah. the terror was already on. Uh, I think uh, Ben, you might have mentioned it before, and I was like, oh, I got to put this on here. So that's good. I might kick off twenty twenty four with that actually. Yeah, and I I actually highly recommend doing it the reverse way. We were talking about reading a book and then go watching the media. If you find something you really like and you find out it's based on a book, go to the book because there's more good stuff. Yeah. If yeah. you already enjoyed the first part, like it right. gets better and deeper and, and right. American Prometheus really does that. So then I've rewatched Oppenheimer since and done a lot of the Leo DiCaprio pointing like, hey, oh, that's from, you know, this. Yeah, section. yeah. ironic because he's in Killers of the Flower Moon, which I, I read before which... I saw the movie. Uh, and I will say, I remember reading that book and thinking like, man, this there is a lot of stuff in here. To put like it is a very complicated story, uh, and it's like how do you how do you capture all of this in the movie? And I think they do a very good job, um, and it is a, a pretty incredible movie. But yeah, there's you know, and Ben said like oh, it's a, a multi part documentary that I watched earlier this year. I was like, I know I've watched a bunch of those, and like what have I forgotten that I saw? But now I really want to I want to check out the telemarketer thing. Yeah, it's great. One thing I do, um, it's actually because I'm working from home today. I have it here on my desk is I always want to write more outside of work than I ever do. But I always just keep a little, right now it's a blue book, but it's just filled with like each page is just like, you know, albums that I added to my collection or movies, books. So I just kind of have like a cultural log that I did kind of flip through before we did this segment. And it does help jog the memory because a year is a long time. And it's very easy when you look back. I do think there's a recency bias for everyone <laughs> where you're yeah. it's just hard to keep track of everything or you forget, was that this year or last year? And then something you enjoyed in the last uh, one or two months ends up being what you talk about at the end of the year. <laughs> so it's, it can That's be a really good point. Um, Because I was just looking back through my list of books that I read this year, and one of the ones that uh, I also remember just blowing my mind was Solito, um, which is an incredible book by uh, Ivan Zamora, I believe is his name. Uh, And it's the story of – it's a – it's a memoir of this kid's journey as an unaccompanied minor back before that was even a term. This is, I believe, in the early 2000s, uh, making his way from his home in uh, Honduras, I believe, is where he grew up, and uh, making his way to the United States um, with, you know, a group of people that he didn't know and people who kind of became his family on that journey. Uh, yeah, and so I'm assuming, oh, yeah, I remember that thing that I watched back in – in March, that was great, and I don't have any remember any recollection of what it was. So I'm sure there was a lot. <laughs> if I was still on Twitter, I would just start a thread where I was ticking off all the things like, "Oh yeah, I remember when I watched that, and it was really good." Well, Ben, you immediately made me think of I think it's Steven Soderbergh like has a running list that he publishes every year. Of yeah, everything. I read that recently. Yeah, yeah, of everything that he's read or watched. Oh, and it's man, just that's fascinating a great to see. Idea you know, one of the most brilliant directing minds we have, what he's taking in and what that leads to what he's doing next or what he's doing currently. So I kind of want to see the uh, the Little Blue Ben's book published. Yeah. <laughs> the, little, the Little Blue Ben's book, yeah. I would, this is something, I mean, I've always been pretty voracious in my outside interests and I used to try to incorporate more of it into my writing, especially in the Ben's Biz blog days, but I often feel like I'm lacking a forum and often I feel almost like this segment now, I always, I always feel a little sheepish or indulgent in a minor league baseball 
uh, forum just talking about the things I like outside of minor league baseball. And every year it seems I'm like, ah, I got to start something at this point. What is it like a Substack? but like something that I can just, you know, remove myself from Ben's biz and just be Ben and talk about other things and, and share those things and maybe not necessarily be too concerned, um, you know, who the audience is and, uh, because there's just so much to write about and explore. And then it doesn't even have to be categorized like movie book. You know, you can, there's just so many things, just random experiences you have, you know, buildings, a sign that you saw is funny. There's just so many uh, things that we think about, you know, create little interesting riffs in our head and then just don't have a space for it. And uh, I think I've been lacking some outlets for a long time. So I'd like to get better at that. New Year's resolutions. First episode of 2024. <laughs> what are we trying to do in 2024? One thing that I will say that I would like to do to kick off 2024 is to try some sauerkraut balls. So, Ben, you're a mover and shaker in the industry. Will you find someone in Akron who will ship uh, the three of us some sauerkraut balls? I would love to kick off my new year by and to one of your points, figuring you out what sauerkraut balls are. Ohio delicacies. Yeah. This you know, is, I know Columbus is in like Northeast Ohio, but you know, you clearly have yeah, connections. No, let's do it. Hey, Jim Fander, president of the Rubber Ducks. Yeah, we need to we need to make this happen. This is how we must now. kick off our year. Yeah, Luke Tracy, we just fe- featured you on the podcast. The little uh, quid pro quo. Send us some uh, sauerkraut balls. <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, well, please get in touch with us and let us know, uh, you know, even if it's just going back to last month's episode, what you're thankful for or your favorite things of 2023. Uh, and they can be baseball related or they can be life related. Um, podcast at MILB.com. We always love uh, hearing from uh, people who take the time to to tune in and get in touch and uh Obviously, uh, we love you and we appreciate you tuning in week to week over the last eight years. And we'll be back after the start of 2024. Hopefully, having gorged ourselves on sauerkraut balls, we will be back in 2024. What's the condiment that you go with with sauerkraut balls? I know we had this conversation. There's like a spicy ranch or something that goes with it. I feel like some brown mustard would be like some, you know, beer mustard. It seemed like you could be, uh, you know, what condiments you like in life. You know, they might work on a sauerkraut ball. I believe marinara was a as a big one, but oh, uh, interesting. But you could also definitely do uh, some ranch style or aioli style, uh, yeah, you know, dipping sauce. And I'm sure a good brown mustard with a little spice, a little horseradish uh, kick uh, would work as well. I like that. We'll That's find nice. out ourselves one of these days. Yeah, we'll learn soon, soon enough. Uh, all right, we're going to step aside. Josh Jackson swings by with the final Ghost of the Miners of 2023, and then we are back to wrap it up. Coming up next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. 
Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One went set out to steal the show on the diamond. The others were set out as fugazis on this show. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball players did at one time exist. A. Franklin Hollers. B. Clarence Hoots. C. Ovid Shrieks. The answer is who? Hoots? I will say it. B. Clarence Hoots. <laughs> A pitcher who announced his presence in pro ball with Wichita Falls down in Texas and was a team player in the 3I League across three seasons of the Roaring Twenties. Hoots' name was good for a hoot from the get-go. Why, in March 1923, as soon as he got a deal with the Texas League Sputters, a newspaper in Hamilton, Ohio, did not stutter in reporting Clarence Hoots has signed with Wichita Falls. He will come into prominence whenever it is necessary to revile the umpire. <laughs> but he never came into prominence at all with the Sputters sputtering out in the Texas League, but butting up with the Bloomington Bloomers in the 3I League, that is, the Illinois-Indiana-Iowa League. In relaying the sputters' acquisition of one Hippo Hodges from Bloomington in June 23, the Wichita Daily Times of Wichita Falls mentioned that Hoots had been going good with the Bloomers over the past couple months. But Clarence Hoots' career didn't clarify into something worth hooting about until 1926, when Hoots helped hurl the Springfield Senators to the 3I League pennant, co-leading the loop with 19 victories, along with Peoria's Hal Smith, Decatur's Elmer Ambrose, and Terra Hout's Carl Boone and William Clark. Hoots was back with Springfield in 27, but the Senators' leadership faltered and the club fell to third place. And he returned to the team at least in the spring of 28, but after that, his trail in history grows cold. Although, in the summer of 29, the Decatur Review did run a story about a local man named Clarence Hoots luring his flying squirrel home from the house of one Ralph Adams via the use of a popcorn popper. What? But as for what happened to his baseball career, the record has yet to be recovered from Ralph Adams' attic. And that's how Clarence Hoots was last heard of. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams was quite industrious in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Lancaster Fultons. B. The Pawtucket Slaters. C. The Dearborn Buicks. Want to know the answer? Modernize. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is going out caroling, and I've got to fill the bucket by my window. Huge thanks to Josh for stopping by. Uh, Josh has a new puppy and a new kitten. And I should probably have noted that, like, getting pictures of uh, Addie, the puppy, and Olive, the kitten, that's one of my... Uh, latest and most favorite things of 2023. Uh, so if you are in need of some of that content, go follow Josh Jackson uh, on the social medias. Uh, before we get out of here, dudes, what are you doing for uh, for the holidays? Obviously, next week, uh, a very quiet time of the year for baseball, especially, but really for uh, the working world at large. What do you guys got going on? 
yeah, the big thing for me will be uh, I'm going home to Massachusetts on Saturday. Uh, Christmas is on Monday. And then on the 27th, my sister is moving house. She's moving one town over in Northeast Connecticut. Won't say the town. Don't want to give away too much. But she is she's moving one town over uh, to the second house that her family will have lived in. Uh, she's moving with three kids. So I don't know if I'm going to be on moving duty, if I'm like getting all the heavy stuff and putting it into the U-Haul or if I'm on uncle duty and just corralling the kids uh, and get kind of getting them out of the way. But that's going to be a big part of my my holidays, getting uh, them moved. And we will have one final Christmas in their their current house, which I think is exciting and, and a good way to to leave things off. But that that's going to be the bulk of my break, I think, until I come back here for New Year's. Uh, ben, what are you doing? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a child of, of divorce and uh, Jill, my fiance, her parents are divorced. And so without getting into the specifics, we have a lot of like factions to juggle every holiday. So uh, we're already in the midst of that now. I've already done a few visits or been visited, um, but we, you know, we've seen, I'll see family on my end in the Philadelphia area or actually Philadelphia proper um, going to Western Massachusetts where Jill's family's from. Uh, but it's been important to us. And what I look forward to the most is to get home at some point on Christmas Eve and then spend the entirety of Christmas day, like in our apartment with our tree, you know, solidify traditions and have like a, you know, little family Christmas on Christmas day at our home, you know, it was really important to me. And then uh, we'll be back from all the running around by hopefully I think on the 29th or 30th. Um, I was talking to Sam yesterday and I actually brought this up, but I've done the polar bear swim like every year for 20, 21 years now uh, at Coney Island, the greatest place in the world. Um, so I always look forward to that on New Year's Day. Love getting in the water on New Year's Day and starting the year off that way. And I uh, was trying to convince Sam to do it yesterday. And I think he, he's open to it. I already have a, me a memo on my phone. Text Sam on December 30th to try to get him to come out. So if he doesn't have plans with Pennywise, um, then... Um, Which is always a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> me and Pennywise are both going to emerge from the sea. Yeah, come in the other. One of direction. us will go in, two of us will come out, and, and I won't explain further. It's a big, uh, it's a big day to be hanging out in the sewers. That's the that's one of those, just one of those days. Just a beautiful winter day to be hanging out in the sewers. That's what I would, that's what I would do on whatever given day I could hang out with Pennywise. Um, I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing, even though nobody cares or asked. Well, uh, I, I no, was I'm gonna kidding. ask, but you were talking, <laughs> so I was waiting for a break. Tyler, what um, are you doing for the holidays? I just want to point out one of my favorite uh, expressions. People from the East Coast say me did this a moment ago when you say my sister's moving one town over. I love that. Where it's like, oh, it's the next town over. And I just love like the mental image that I have of like all these towns just like stacked up, which is kind of how it is. But yeah, I just, I mean, for that's... whatever reason, I just I've always loved that. It's like, oh, no, it's like two towns over. I love that expression. I think it's great. I never thought about it that as being a Northeast thing, but yeah, sure. It's fun. I don't know. I'm sure it's like maybe like in probably California, they probably maybe say that where the towns are all butted up against each other. Um, but I love it. It's so uh, it's so charming. Um, I am uh, headed to much like Ben. I, too, am a child of divorce. But my parents, they don't care about what I do for Christmas. So they always go to New York to see my sister and her family. And, hey, I'm a married man now. So I'm going with my wife. My wife. Uh, we're going to go see her family in Texas. And I'm really just – you know, trying to eat a whole lot of like barbecue and grilled meats. That's kind of my whole, like going to Texas. I'm like, wow, we're not going to do like, you know, the big traditional Italian Christmas dinner that I would do with my family in New York. Why don't I just try to detour our road trip to go buy Cooper's 
you know, and stuff barbecue into my face or whatever. So we're going to do that. Um, and then I got to be back. We have a, a college basketball trip. Uh, we leave on the 28th for uh, a road game. Then we get back on the 30th. And then we have a game on New Year's Eve in the afternoon. Uh, so I'm planning on, I have a functioning fireplace in my house right now, which is very cool. So I think we're just going to like start a fire and sit in the house, uh, start a fire in the fireplace. We're not going to start a fire in the house. Uh, but that seems like a good chill, uh, terrific 38 year olds, new year's Eve. I don't want to be cool on new year's Eve anymore. I've never have been, so I'm not going to try to start now, but that's like an exhausting holiday to me. So sitting around ringing in 2024, hopefully crushing some sauerkraut balls. I was going to say, yeah. Between the uh, you know the diving into the sea in Coney Island and the sauerkraut balls on the day, yeah. I think at our ages now, January first is a bigger day than <laughs> December thirty first. That's very possible. Um, all right, everybody. Well, uh, a huge thanks again to all of you for hanging out with us on uh, the show before the show podcast. And uh, we will say goodbye. Huge thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by with Ghost of the Miners. Uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon. Thanks, everybody, for uh, being with us for another year. We'll catch you in 2024.